This is Plant-Based Briefing, Technical Outrage, Innovating to Reduce Animal Use, by Kartik Shaker at Faunalytics.org. And I'm Marian Erickson, host of this curated content plant-based podcast, where I narrate a variety of articles with permission on plant-based and vegan topics. Today's article is by Kartik Shaker, PhD. He's a trained scientist and engineer, and he's currently working on the front lines of the alternative food industry in the San Francisco Bay Area. And he has recently written a new book called After Meat, The Case for an Amazing Meat-Free World, where he explains the fundamental limits of animal technology and how the movement away from animal-based foods is proceeding with tremendous momentum. Because, as he says, quote, simply put, Raising animals for consumption is an awful technology. All indications suggest that the future of food will ultimately be tastier, healthier, cheaper, kinder, and better for the environment. This will happen because we won't be using animal products. So I do recommend After Meat, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, and 100% of proceeds from the sale of the book are going to charity. And he's distilled some of the key ideas into a blog post, which is what I'm going to be reading for you today. So now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. Technical Outrage, Innovating to Reduce Animal Use by Kartik Shaker at Faunalytics.org In this blog post, author and scientist Kartik Shaker outlines the technical and ethical promises of microbial fermentation in a way that is both exciting and inspiring. In the 2018 book, The End of Animal Farming, author J.C. Reesantis interviews Alex Loristani, co-founder of Geltor, a company that produces food and cosmetic-grade gelatin without animals. Geltor uses microbial fermentation. Genes for gelatin are introduced into microbes, thin baker's yeast. In highly controlled bioreactor vats, the microbes can decode the DNA to produce gelatin, thereby eliminating the need for cows and pigs to do the same. Alex, just a few years removed from completing his doctorate in molecular biology at Princeton University, explains his motivation to J.C. for starting Geltor. He wasn't moved by the ethics or environmental concerns. Instead, he seethed with, quote-unquote, technical outrage. Alex quipped to J.C. that using animals is the dumbest way to make the things that we need and love. Over the years, as the alternative protein industry burgeoned, we've heard a lot about how inefficient animals are at producing goods and the need to switch. Liz Specht, vice president of science and technology at the Good Food Institute, presented striking numbers to a San Francisco audience in February 2020. Only 11% of what's fed to chickens is converted into human food, and cows convert a paltry 3-4%. to Liz expressed similar frustration over the efficiency of animals and explained how this contributed to her going vegetarian in college. In this post, I'll delve into the details of just what makes animals so pathetic as bioreactors, machines to produce commodities such as meat, dairy, clothing, and biologics, and how those metrics lead to environmental and ethical calamity. As the presentation continued, Liz explained some of the reasons for the inefficiencies of animals. They walk around, have circulatory systems, and waste much of what they eat on their activities. Specifically, what systems and quantitative biologists such as myself term as quote-unquote maintenance. In contrast to maintenance, the other end point in the animal bioreactor is biomass. Biomass is the physical aspect of the animals, the bones, muscle, milk, blood, and anything else that is physically tangible. In other words, biomass is tantamount to all of the commodities that animal agriculture reaps, including meat, dairy, clothing, drugs, and cosmetics. 
In order to squeeze the most out of animal bodies, producers would love more of what they feed to build biomass rather than to be burned by maintenance. An influential quantitative biologist team of Godfrey West, Brian Enquist, and James Brown, the web team, figured out that the allocation of biomass and maintenance quantitatively predict how animals grow over time, including cows, hens, and pigs. As many of us are familiar, especially with companion species, young animals' growth is explosive. They grow quickly in the first weeks and months, only to slow down as they reach sexual maturity. Animals put on less mass as they grow because their maintenance requirements are proportional to body size. When they're young, they're small, and more of what they eat can fuel biomass. But the maintenance tax penalties only go up, and eventually the cost is one-to-one. Everything the animal eats pays purely for maintenance. Using the web team's framework, I calculated the lifetime fraction of biomass versus maintenance at a paltry 14%. That means animal agriculture producers lose at least 86% of what they feed animals to maintenance. In contrast, microbes, such as the ones driving Geltor's gelatin process, can have a much more impressive yield, sometimes reaching over 99.5% in the right bioreactor conditions, because microbes do not grow in the same way as animals. So in the long run, processes such as what Geltor is doing will technologically surpass the cow bioreactor, at least in terms of yield. Too generalist and too big. The bloated maintenance cost for animals can be explained by two reasons. One, animals are complex generalists that evolutionarily developed to survive in diverse environments on many types of food. And two, animals are so big that they need intricate, costly circulatory systems. Consider all the types of biological life—conifer trees, sea slugs, the formiculate bacteria in our gut, the fly agarate mushroom, and animals. Compared to other domains of life, animals tend to lie on the more generalist and complex end. They're mobile, they can inhabit many kinds of environments, and they can eat many kinds of food, thanks to their stomachs, which help acidify slurries of food into metabolizable molecules. Furthermore, animals are capable of complex assessments. A predator or prey looms behind the trees. This fellow is a friend, or this place is safe to sleep tonight. The more functions a species has, then the more resources, i.e. maintenance, is required internally by the organism. The brain and the accompanying sense of smell, taste, sight, and feel will demand more energy to run the necessary calculations. Muscles are required to propel the animal forward or up, sometimes quickly if a predator looms. A sophisticated gastrointestinal system is needed to evacuate nutrients from meat and different kinds of plants. It's a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none scenario, and each aspect depletes the efficiency to create biomass. In contrast, microbes are specialists. They generally can only consume a few types of molecules such as simple sugars, amino acids, and peptides, and they can mainly sense those molecules and nothing else. They must inhabit the perfect environment, enough moisture with the perfect pH, temperature, and salinity, all of which is controllable in a bioreactor vat. Otherwise, the microbes die or lose out to more adapted competitors. The trade-off is they don't have the baggage of brains, stomachs, or muscles and, accordingly, require less maintenance. Animals are also big with respect to most biological life. Their size demands a sophisticated circulatory system to move nutrients, hormones, and waste to and from entry and exit points. Organs such as the heart and lungs vitalize the entire body. Circulatory systems are so costly that the web team found that the fractal patterning of blood vessels is evolution's way to curb the cost. 
that branching minimizes the friction of moving blood through the body. Microbes are smaller, microscopic to be exact. In this world, nutrients and waste can pass via chemical diffusion. An oxygen molecule can bounce from one end of a microbe to the other in two to three microseconds. Stated another way, the oxygen molecule can bounce end-to-end nearly half a million times within just one second. They do not require any semblance of a circulatory system. And in a bioreactor vat, that is perfectly fine, because a spinning impeller can bathe microbes with circulating nutrients. Animals grow slowly, too. Circulatory systems also cap the speed at which animals grow. It's energetically costly to speed up fluid flow. If a heart works twice as hard, i.e. uses twice the energy, then the blood flow only ramps up 1.4 times. Returns diminish very quickly. It takes at least months, if not years, for animals to become full size. In contrast, a microbial bioreactor vat process could take mere hours. This bears out in the number. Microbes can grow 1,000 to 10,000 times faster than chickens and cows. To put this in perspective, if we had a celestial-sized bioreactor vat and we seeded it with one baker's yeast, a quarter the size of a red blood cell, and ran the reaction, then we'd have yeast biomass equivalent to Earth's mass in just eight days. Consequences to the Terribleness of Animal Technology The technical inferiority of animal-based production also explains awful environmental and ethical outcomes. Animal agriculture is responsible for 5% of carbon dioxide emissions globally. This doesn't seem so bad based on the analysis above. However, this 5% undersells the biggest environmental problem of animal agriculture, its extensive land usage. Nearly 30% of ice-free land on the earth is used for animal agriculture. That's a lot of land to not have trees on. In other words, animal agriculture incurs a massive environmental opportunity cost. Because humanity spends so much land on animal agriculture, we're less able to sequester carbon dioxide with forests or trees. This is explained by the metrics of animal technology. If one has an irretrievably slow process, then just make the process bigger. If we could instead use the more efficient microbial fermentation vats to replace cows, then we'd free up 99.9% of the land. In terms of ethics, producers have learned that they can ameliorate the awful metrics of animal technology. Specifically, animals in confinement grow faster than they do in free-range settings. The yield is better, too. They're not wasting the precious feed on frivolities such as walking around or playing with friends. Concentrated animal feeding operations, CAFOs, or factory farms, have thrived because of the terrible metrics of animals. Free-range animal husbandry just doesn't scale. Accordingly, CAFOs supply 99% of the animals in the United States for meat. Hope and Opportunity Since the Enlightenment, humanity has developed a penchant for replacing outdated, plotting technology with better, more helpful technology. Candles to light bulbs— Abacuses to a computer, oxen to tractors, horses to cars, motorcycles, and trains. Likewise, it's inevitable and imminent that we'll replace animal agriculture for technological reasons alone. I've written After Meat to convince the world of that fact, and importantly, to get excited about it. It will be better in every meaningful way, and not just for the environmental and ethical outcomes— Because animals are limited machines, the gastronomical possibilities are, likewise, fenced in. We can have food that tastes better, is healthier, and cheaper than anything that was possible using animals. We could solve world hunger much easier with more efficient technology. 
This future might happen via microbial bioreactor technology, as I've extolled throughout this post, but there are other viable alternatives too. You just listened to Technical Outrage, Innovating to Reduce Animal Use by Kartik Shaker at Phonolytics.org. And if this topic interests you, please check out his new book at aftermeatbook.com. And I'm your host, Marian Erickson. Thanks for listening.